Alright, so who is on the throne? Starting out today, who is on the throne? Jake? Who'd be on the throne right now? Not me. Good. Who is it? Jesus. Sweet. Okay, so we're going to put the cross there, and then here is Jake. He is submitting to Christ's lordship. And uh, what's the result of that look like? What do you think? What, is, what are some of the fruits of that? Oh, yeah, fruit of the Spirit. How about this? Fruit of the Spirit is totally engulfing FLC as you allow him to reach through you to this school that needs him desperately. All right? So let's just pray. Uh, I don't know. We all just came home from break. We're all pretty stoked. But let's just pray and consciously put Christ on the throne and, and ask him to fill us with his spirit. Brandon, why don't you just do that, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for uh, our break, and thank you for our families, God, and just a uh, chance to just uh, rest and get ready for coming back to school, God. I pray that you would just uh, be on the throne right now, God, and just fill us with the Holy Spirit. That way we can just go into our campus and just share your light and good news, and share with the people that we're discipling with and all that, God. So, just pray that everything we do is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So some of this will be review for some of you guys, because you've done the discipleship packet with, with people before, but over break we were thinking about it, and we thought we really need to go back and actually do a whole class just on how to go through the discipleship packet with somebody, just so that video is online. And if you've never discipled somebody yet, I know Jack, you haven't done that yet, but you, you're looking to start doing that, this should be really good today. And Jake, uh, obviously for you, this is, is good for you to, to learn also, because you haven't gone through a packet with somebody yet. Uh, but And then... Some of you guys that have, it's going to be just good review. It's good for me, it's good for all of us to keep reviewing this. So, I hope you each have this awesome neon-colored discipleship packet today. If you need more, there are more copies here. But we're going to get into it pretty fast here. So, whose job is the Great Commission? You guys know this. Whose job is it? Ours. Mine. Mine. It's Jack's, it's Nate's, it's Brandon's. Yeah, you guys, you are right. It is... It is my responsibility, not ours collectively, although it is, in a sense, but I can't see it that way. I have to really see it as, this is my responsibility for my Savior. It's what He commanded me to. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, let's turn there and just read it again to start out. Anytime we start talking about discipleship and the Great Commission, I think that's a good place to start. Because it's Jesus Himself giving the command. Again, it's my job, it's not just for the gifted, right? We're all called to this. So each one of you, I hope, will be making disciples that multiply. And, and we, we say that you'd be multiplying spiritual multipliers, but I pray that you'd be making disciples till the day you die. Uh, and that you would not stop. And you're going to have every pressure in the world try to get you to stop from doing that. So uh, who would like to... Jake, will you read that? Are you there? Yes. Why don't you go ahead and uh, go ahead and just read it as loud as you can? Yeah. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age." That is awesome. All right. So as we talk about discipleship, remember the graph. If we started multiplying even once annually, after 10 years, you guys remember what it would be about? About 30 years. Well, after 10 years, do you remember what it would be? It would be about 1,000. Another 10 years after that, maybe 20 years from now, it would be about a million. 10 years after that, it would be about a billion. And just a few after that, it would literally be the entire planet, 8 to 9 billion people within the next 32 to 33 years. And so, how do we do it? We're going to review this funnel diagram again. Are you guys getting sick of it, seeing the funnel diagram? I hope not, because you'll never forget it. And it's going to be really good. So actually, I shouldn't do this. I should give it to somebody like you. Oh, Would you like to do it? You haven't done this yet, have you? I have not. Okay. Well, you're going to be on video. So if you're not okay with that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can help. help you you're going to do good. That's true. You did help me. Thanks for drawing the circle. Yeah, that's, that's your lifeline right there. Your one lifeline. Peeps. Peeps. Say it loud, too. Can you share the gospel? <coughs> yeah. 
person watching this, I have terrible handwriting. Um, and then you get four possible responses. You get um, already Christian, uh, not interested. You get green fruit or will pray. That's awesome. That's your four options. And then from there, to go right into discipleship. Ah, uh, yeah, follow up discipleship. Oh yeah, the two of them. Um, yeah, these three. Discipleship. process or the funnel diagram, uh, the Great Commission process, and we're, we're talking about discipleship here again, and obviously this is our second week talking about discipleship, and we talked about following up with people that we've shared Christ with before that even, so there's a lot of info on follow-up here, and last uh, the last class on discipleship, we kind of focused on the do's and don'ts, things not to forget. I would encourage you to go review that, so there's going to be a lot about just different principles that are really important to remember. We'll kind of touch on a few of those, the main ones today, but you should still go and review that. Again, it's all online, video, audio, notes, everything. But we're really going to hit hard today at, um, at the actual discipleship packet, which is a great tool to get discipleship going. It's obviously not the only tool, and it's obviously not the last tool, right? Because after you finish the packet with somebody, you should not leave them right there. In fact, I had a pastor once ask me, said, after you finish the packet with someone, should you just quit meeting with that person and then start with somebody new? I said, absolutely not. The, the packet's just the foundation, right? After the packet, you actually, get to, you actually get to see some multiplication starting to happen. So if there ever was a time to continue meeting with that person, it is actually uh, after you finish the packet. So you don't stop, right? And as long as God leaves the door open, I'm going to get a different copy. As long as God leaves the door open for you to keep meeting, uh, you should keep meeting and encouraging that person, uh, even sorry, and just continuing to encourage them. All right. So that being said, you guys remember the four contexts of discipleship. Remember these: meeting one on one weekly, right? This is important again. Four contexts: weekly, one on one. You remember the next one? They don't have to be in order. What else makes discipleship happen? Okay. Uh, weekly Bible study, right? Small group. Remember what else? Weekly big meeting where, they, where the person that you're discipling can actually hear they're connecting with a small group and sharing some experiences and sharing some struggles and sharing some victories and growing together and uh, with a little bit of trust and confidentiality, but more than just one-on-one. And then here it's actually this big meeting. You're, you're probably not dealing with real specific issues there, but you're growing as a group. You're seeing each other. You know who the other believers on the campus are. And then finally, what if, what if we just ended there? Is it ever going to go? What's the next one? What's that? Well, kind of. What? Outreach. Yeah, outreach. Mm-hmm. You actually want to take this person and get them out in the outreach, right? Get them out in in the ministry. Get them out in the Great Commission. Get them out in the harvest. Get them involved in what God is doing. So those are the four contexts, and I think they're important. If you're trying to do a one-on-one discipleship thing, but the other three contexts are never happening, 
then that's going to be really kind of a dead-end road. But if these are happening, even in some capacity, it might not be perfect, that's going to be super important to, to that person continuing to grow and to multiply the way God desires. And then, of course, we have the FAITH acronym, right? Guys, you guys are going to have to know this one. This is like on the final exam. Just kidding. There's no final exam. The final exam is the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll be getting I'll be getting scored at the same time. <laughs> well, God's grace is awesome. So, anyway, F-A-I-T-H. Okay, faith. What does the F stand for in the faith acronym? What's that? Faithful. Anybody remember the passage that this comes from? No, it's cl- you're close to... No, 13 is a good verse. <laughs> but, but it's not it. Remember? 2-2. Two, two. Just remember 2-2-2. Two, two, two. It, it, might, it might help you remember multiplication, right? 2-2-2. Two, 2 two. two times 2 times 2. Something like that. Okay. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2-2. Two. Right? Four generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. That's the multiplication process that we're shooting for here. So we start with, look for people that are faithful. What's next? Available. Available. Okay, next. Interesting. No. Interactive. Interactive was our original one. But when we found that Steve Shadrach has virtually the same acronym... And actually, we considered switching this to initiative. We were definitely thinking about it when we revamped the discipleship packet. And and that's the one he uses with the rest being identical. It was pretty unbelievable. So I'm putting them both in there. Uh, that's initiative. I think it's even more important than if somebody's interactive. If somebody's never taking the initiative, it's going to be extremely hard for you to get anywhere with them, right? So you want to look for somebody that's going to be a self-starter. It's going to take the initiative. But also that that's going to be interactive. It's actually going to communicate and be honest with you at a level where you can continue this process. Okay, T stands for... Oh, you'll get it. Teachable. I'll share it. Teachable. My markers are dying. I need to get some new markers. Okay, yeah. Teachable. Alright. And if the person isn't teachable, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's not going to work. And then what's H? This is the most important one. Again, none of these are going to be there 100% in anyone. They're not there 100% in us. So you're not looking for a perfect person. Otherwise... Maybe you should ask them to disciple you. <laughs> but the idea is is look for these qualities that are going to be there uh, in increasing capacity in somebody that's going to be a multiplying multiplier for God, right? Look for those types of qualities. And the last one, the most important, it trumps all the other qualities, is a heart. A heart. Or, actually forgot, because that will produce a heart for people too, right? Uh, if you don't have a heart for God, you're not going to have a heart for people. But, yeah. So that, those are the characteristics that we're looking for when we look for somebody that we want to start investing in and discipling. And if you don't abide by those characteristics, you're just you're destroying your own ministry, guys. Look for those things. Don't try, My biggest... I used to try and just rescue anybody I could and get them to, to grow. And you really got to trust the Holy Spirit to do that. You can't. Uh, remember some of these guidelines and basics? A lot of them, again are in the the last class, but remember some of these tips. Go to the person that you want to start discipling and set up the initial appointment. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go and set it up. Actually, that was Jesus' example. He went to the disciples and said, come and follow me. We're not Jesus. We're asking them to come and follow Christ. But you're at least following that example and setting up an appointment to intentionally start investing in their life. Uh, Be ready uh, with what you're going to say. Something like, hey, John. Would you like to see how God works in our lives in a practical day-to-day way? Can I meet with you uh, sometime this week, buy you some coffee, and go through what Scripture says and how it, how it pertains to your life? Something like that would be really good. Have a schedule ready so that you can actually plan a time. I promise you if you say, we should do this sometime, but don't schedule it, 
It's not going to happen. So actually get it on paper as soon as you possibly can. Always call them the night before or text them to remind them that, uh, that you're meeting tomorrow. Um, at the end of each appointment, set up another one. Keep this thing going. Try not to just let it uh, fall away. And here's the big deal. Use a transferable tool. This is important. Don't just wing it. A lot of people do discipleship and they just wing it. They just try to help this person grow. They're not using something transferable. When you use this packet, what happens is the person that you're going through this with, they and then they in turn can then go through it with somebody else. So use a transferable tool like the discipleship packet. And as we open up the discipleship packet, uh, this really works. Guys, this really works. It's the product of 40 plus years of ministry uh, just from Russ's end. And and beyond that, too, it has lots of diagrams in here from Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ, the Navigators, other people also. So it's a, it's a wealth of good stuff. And it has really helped tons of people grow in their walks with God. Custom fit it if you want to tweak a, a verse. Or not tweak a verse. That'd be bad. Don't do that. <laughs> okay? If you want to tweak a diagram, feel free. Or maybe add an example. Or if you want to add a verse or something like that. Or maybe you don't want to share one of the verses in here, that's okay. Go to it. But you guys, uh, the main deal is is to keep this packet and use it really good. It's transferable. And, and here's the thing that I want to remind you of. Do this at least three times. Before, you know, A lot of you are going to have some hard pitfalls right off the bat. You might start doing this with somebody and it's a little rough. Just keep at it. Keep going. Eventually, trust God in you. Eventually, it's going to get better and you're going to keep growing. So be patient with yourself. And God's going to grow you into an awesome disciple maker. Because the Holy Spirit's in you. And that's His desire. <coughs> so what to focus on on each of the appointments. I wanted to start by saying, before you even start going through the packet, what should you do? You should not assume... What do you think? Don't assume anything, right? What should you do first? Go, yeah. What's that, Malcolm? Sure that they're... Yeah, make sure they have a relationship with Christ, right? There was a guy that I was meeting with this year, and I wasn't sure. I went through the KGP with him, the Knowing God Personally booklet, and just wasn't positive. He knew Christ, couldn't tell for sure. I was trying to go through the packet some with him, and just wasn't really working so well. And I knew there was another Christian leader that had been meeting with him. And so I just was praying that this guy would really be able to connect with this with this guy all that. And he texted me just about a week ago and said this this guy trusted Christ. So it's pretty cool. But it would have been wrong for me to just blaze ahead through the packet, not knowing for sure where this where this guy was, right? Okay, make sure to stress the application points at the end of each chapter. It'll say at the end of each appointment, how can you apply these things in your life? Make sure to stress that because you're laying a foundation right from the beginning of application so that they're not going to see God's word as something that's just head knowledge, but they're going to realize this is something that I live, okay? So stress that from the very, very beginning. The goal is for them to understand what you're going through in the packet, not just to get through all the information. So if you need to take two weeks on an appointment, go for it. That's not a problem at all. Encourage them to begin reading the Gospel of John, maybe when you first start going through the packet with them. And then as you go through it, keep asking them what they're learning, asking them how it's going. You're helping them learn how to really get in God's Word and grow on their own, right? Ask how you can be praying for them. Ask them about other issues that are going on in their life. Be sensitive if they need to talk about something other than the packet. Be ready to do that. I remember one day I was going to my appointment... I had an appointment ready to, to talk through. Sit down with this guy, and I'm ready to go right into it. And he tells me, Nate, before we get started, I have a question. I really just keep doubting my salvation. <laughs> I went, whoa, okay, we don't need to be talking about what I was hoping to talk about today. We need to go to where this guy is really at. After each appointment, remember, set up that next appointment. Don't just assume it's going to happen. Keep taking the initiative. So we're going to go straight into appointment number one. Appointment number one, and talk a little bit about the diagrams and what's important to remember. Okay, I'm going to do appointment one. Anybody remember what that is? Security and assurance of salvation, right? And 
just put security up there. Now, the second somebody trusts Christ, usually Satan starts to lie to them, right? That's his job. And he's going to tell them it wasn't legit. What you just did didn't happen. God doesn't really live in your life. And the second they sin, it really seems true. What Satan just said when he lied to me seems so true. And they, of course, don't know it's Satan. But how could God live in my life if I just did the same sin now that I did before Christ supposedly came in my life, right? Many of you probably, when you trusted Christ, remember feeling those things and thinking those thoughts. So the point here is to help them really understand from Scripture alone, yes, when you put your trust in Christ, Christ did come into your life. He's not going to lie. That was his promise. So you want to clearly articulate the security that they have in Christ. You want to go through the key passages about that security. Passages like John 10, 27 through 30, 1 John 5, 11 through 15. You guys have these. Follow with me in the packet if you want. Romans 8, 38 through 39, 1 John 4, 18, and Philippians 1, 6. Each of those discuss the security that they have in Christ and the fact that God is working in their life and he's not going to give up. He's not going to leave. He's not going to finish that. But he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. They need to know that for sure. Uh, Don't add a whole lot of other verses at this time, right? Keep this pretty simple. This is a lot for somebody that's just beginning to walk. Uh, to be able to, to handle. Uh, and you really want to go through the committee truth diagram well. When we go through this, you're going to set up a table, and you're going to tell them, here's a big table. It's a meeting table, like you'd see in a big meeting room where these big wigs make big decisions. And there are lots of people sitting around the table. And the point of their conversation is to decide what is most true about you, and specifically about you and God. right? And as you talk to them, I would ask them, what are some people in your life that you respect or that, that are influential in your life that might have something to say about you and God? Now, see, what happens a lot of times is, let's say you just put your trust in Christ and your family, let's say, aren't believers, and you go tell them, what are they possibly going to say? You're crazy. Yeah, what do you, you, did you get fooled by those guys? Are you kidding me? What are you thinking, Right? They're going to probably start to, to trash them. Or what about your old friends that you used to party with? What? What? You don't want to party now? You guys have probably experienced those same friends saying stuff like that after you start walking with God. You're crazy. Why wouldn't you party? I don't know what people are going to say, but Satan's going to use what they say to bring you down in your faith right from the start. And if you can do this diagram with somebody as close to the time that they trust Christ as possible, you're preparing them to be ready when they hear those arguments, right? So that they are standing strong and they're able to keep standing strong. So I would, if they can't come up with it, they might. I would ask them first, who are some influential people? They might say my mom, my dad, my brother, okay, girlfriend, teacher, um, who else? Uh, party, party friends. We had one guy get saved. He came to, to Christ. This is about seven years ago. And it was on the guy's camping trip. He gets home. First thing he does is calls his girlfriend and says, You're going to hell if you don't trust Jesus. <laughs> Didn't go over so well, right? And she told him, Yeah, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> and it probably took five to six months before he did anything with God after that. Right? Because he was so shook up about what his girlfriend said, right? She quickly became an ex-girlfriend, too. Uh, (laughs) Right? So, what are some other people that might have something influential to say? Let's just say a neighbor. I don't know. Can you guys think of a name? Oh, I remember. We have to fit some other people into this table. I'm going to erase the neighbor here. You can put more circles in just this. But I would say, what about me? That'll make sense in a minute. And then I'd say, what about you? Okay? And we might even say, what about Satan? Okay? He's going to say some bad stuff. So we start asking him, oh, my mom's going to say, great. And I'll write it down right there on the packet. Write down some little notes. What's your dad going to say? He doesn't know. He doesn't doesn't really believe in God. What's your brother going to say? I trust you, maybe. Maybe it's good. Maybe he doesn't know. What's your... Let's see what's your ex-girlfriend say. He's a creep. Hate that guy. What's your teacher gonna say? There is no God. I'm just making up examples. Right? I would ask him what those types of people are gonna say. And if he has all positive people, try to be creative and come up with some negative ones. Like throw a professor in there. What if your professor said there is no God? You're crazy for believing in a God. 
Or even telling them an example, we have professors that say you can't graduate or you can't you can't pass this class and still be a Christian. What if your professor said that? Right? So you might throw in a few examples that are sure to have some opposition just to prepare them for it. What about your party friends? You're crazy. Come party, right? What about me? I would always say, I'm never going to say this, but what if I said, God hates you, right? Why would I say something like that, do you think? Why am I putting myself in there, asking him what he would say if I said something absurd like that? What do you think I'm doing? Testing him? No, not testing him. I want him to learn not to trust a human being above God. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell them, I'm never going to tell you this, but the whole point of this, is it develops in a minute, is we're helping them learn that they go to God for their word. And I think a lot of people, they make big mistakes when they put all their trust in a person rather than putting it in God's word, right? And I'll, of course, tell them, no, I'll never say that, you know. But what if I did? Would you trust me just because I'm a leader? And they'll usually say, no, I think you're crazy. I'd say, okay, good. (laughs) But I'm going to say, God is sticking with you, okay? He's not leaving you. Okay, what is Satan going to say, do you think? Okay, they never mess this one up. He's going to say, God isn't there, and hate. I'm going to put just big hate right here in capital letters. Okay, what about you? I always ask them this because they need to know that their mind is always kind of thinking, maybe a conglomeration of all these different comments, right? And I'll ask them, doesn't what you think about you change kind of often? Yes, yes, yes. What if you think today that, and feel maybe that your walk with God is up, but tomorrow you feel like it's really down? What then? I don't know. I don't know. And see, you're helping them see how chaotic this whole issue can be if they're deriving their opinion about what's true, about their security with God, from what other people say and from what they say. And then you tell them, after they talk about this for a while, now let's say God materializes right here. God. You can touch him. You can physically touch him. He's sitting right next to you. And let's say he says a whole lot about you. Who are you going to believe? Now, at this point, this young believer always says, God. And you say, well, what if everybody else at the table, what if they all came to a conclusion and it was different than what God said? Who would be right? God. What if they all agreed with you? What if you thought that conclusion was right, too? Who would be right? Does majority rule win? No, it's God, right? Now I see this. And then you say, do you know where we could find what God says is true? And usually, not usually, a lot of times they can't figure this out. So just let them go for a while. Some people say, in my mind? I think, no. I'll feel it. No. Eventually you're going to help them realize it's in the Bible. That is the number one way we know what God says is true about you and your walk with him. And then you're going to proceed to go to all these different verses that we just referenced that talk about their security in Christ. So you're helping them realize, I'm going to trust those verses about God being in my life more than what this guy or that person or this friend says about me. I'm going to trust it even more than what I say about me. Trusting God's word, that's my only foundation. Is that not a great way to start your Christian walk? I mean, I don't know. Some of you guys didn't come to Christ. I can't remember if any of you did here. I don't think so. So, whenever you first came to Christ, I wish I would have had this, don't you? Like somebody to just lay that out. I remember years, guys, of wondering, am I saved, am I not? Oh my gosh. I remember telling God, if I sin one more time, I'll sentence myself to hell. <laughs> you know, Stupid stuff like that. It'd be so, so much self-condemnation. Not realizing, gosh, I can walk in the security that God has already given me. Nobody went through that with me carefully. The next diagram that we share in appointment number one is the eternal life diagram. And the reason we want to do this is we want to help them see... Uh, that you're born physically at a specific point in time, and then you die <laughs> at a specific point in time. And a lot of people that have a, a big issue with this whole with this whole um, security thing, they don't understand that eternal life. Go to John six thirty five through forty seven. Right. That it starts at believing in Christ. Right. And so a lot of people think, and maybe you've been here, that I'm going to live my life, and if I'm good enough, until I get here, then at that point, eternal life begins. And that is the wrong way to view it. 
That is not good, and it'll destroy somebody's entire life effectiveness if they live thinking that way. So what we want people to see is the complete opposite of that, which is that you're born, and at some point you accept Christ, or put your trust in Christ, or receive Christ, okay? And at that very point in time, eternal life begins. That's what scripture says, right? And to see, you made that decision last week, Joe. That means right now, eternal life has already begun with Christ, right? When you die within a twinkling of an eye, you'll be there in eternity with him forever, all right? So again, you're just helping them understand the security that they have in Christ. So that's all good. But we need to keep going because we have 11 more or 10 more appointments to go through in, in 25 minutes. So we're going to go fast. Living by faith versus feeling in circumstances is the next one. So I'm just going to do two is faith. What if somebody never learns how to walk by faith and they just walk by feelings? And gosh, they're not going to go very far in their walk with God. But that's probably where about 80 to 90% of the Christian world is at. Living every day by feelings and making their feelings what's most true about what they see. Their feelings and what else? Feelings and circumstances. Exactly. Okay, so what typically... Okay, we're going to draw the train out here. My art is so awesome. That's a train car. So what typically drives most people's... What typically drives most people's lives, guys? We're just talking about it. Feelings. Feelings. Feelings and right. If you if it feels good, do it. Right. Or even Christians, if the doors open, that's God's will. Right. Circumstances are determining what's most true in my life. Okay. What happens then? If this is what's leading your life, what happens when your feelings or your circumstances go up? What happens to the rest of you? And it goes up, right? And we're going to put in this middle car your faith. Okay, and so you're putting your faith in what's up in front, your feelings and circumstances here. And then what's following that is God's word or your Christian life, we'll say in this example, right? Your Christian life is kind of just getting dragged along by what you're really putting your faith in, and in this in this situation, it's in your feelings and circumstances. So when they're up, where is your where is your spiritual life? It's through the roof, right? They're, you're having a spiritual high. You guys ever been there? Yeah. Okay, and then what happens when they're down, though? You get a spiritual low. How many of you guys have ever heard of this? It's the spiritual roller coaster. Let's see, here's time, and here's maturity, or, I don't know, your walk with God, and it goes like this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. And for some people, it never has an upward trend. It's always just an up and down, and up and down, and up and down. Maybe it even has a downward trend. Right? Uh, going from worse to worse. That's actually a characteristic of deception, going from worse to worse like that. So anyway, wouldn't you love to get a handle on this so you never have to, to die in that cycle again? Right? I think that that is the key of learning to live by faith. And again, some of the passages that we want to share on living by faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Hebrews 11, 1, and verse 6, Hebrews 4.2, Romans 10.17, James 1.22, James 2.22, James 2.26, 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith, not by sight, and Galatians 2.20. All right? Now, all those are super important. Now, here's the different, the way, this is the different example. It's the way things should go. Instead of putting my faith in feelings and circumstances which change like the wind... What should I put my faith in, guys? Yeah, Jesus, and then specifically what? God's word. Yeah, God's word. I'm gonna put word, truth, right? You can put fact, 
Okay, God's word, right? God's word. That doesn't change, right? God's word doesn't change. So if you're putting your faith in God's word, what happens to the to the to the roller coaster? Gone, right? But you're going to be going in an upward trend as God leads you. He's the one that's growing you. He's the one that's teaching you by the power of His Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so you're putting your word in the unchanging truth of God. And then your your feelings and circumstances follow, right? They follow your faith right here. So sometimes you might say, do I feel like sharing my faith? Nope, I don't feel like it. But I'm not going to do what I feel. I'm going to do what God's word says. God's word tells me to share my faith. So I'm going to do this by faith, right? So we're learning how to walk by faith. That's the whole point of the second appointment. What's the result of that then? Joy, peace, excitement, happiness, <laughs> right? You get to see God working through your life. So as I walk by faith, putting into practice what I know to be true from God's word, and doing that by faith, the feelings literally follow that. I will experience the best feelings in the world when I'm following, by faith, God's word. The result is always good, right? There might be hard times. I'm not going to say it'll all just be a bowl of cherries. But the, the result internally is peace, not chaos. The result internally is confidence. The result internally is unconditional love. Right? Those things are, are not going to be neglected by God, right? So that's the train diagram, and I think that that is so important. And I think a lot of people, the second they see that, everything starts to click. All right. So now we are going to go to appointment number three, right? Appointment number three, dealing with sin and experiencing God's love and forgiveness. You see the progression here, too? And we're starting out with security, and then we're reaffirming the need to walk by faith, which is probably about as big a foundation as you can get. My phone. I'm sorry, guys. I need to silence that thing. What's going on? Uh, anyway, it's super important. So now, this person probably is dealing with sin. You didn't become perfect the second you trusted Christ. There's still some sin hanging on. Okay, so let's go through this, this relationship and fellowship chart. What's your relationship? Okay, yeah. So your relationship, we're going to say, is your father-son. Okay? Your relationship is, is your connection to God. Now, what's your fellowship? And this isn't just theoretical. If you go to 1 John 1, 5 through 9 you're going to see that the issue is really fellowship and relationship. You're hearing all about this, about confessing sin. 1 John 1.9 specifically talks about confessing sin. Okay, so what's the fellowship aspect? What's that? So, yeah, it's your interaction. Okay. So it's your intimacy, uh, time spent, etc. In marriage, the relationship with my wife is Aaron is my wife, I'm her husband, right? And our fellowship is our closeness, our communication, our time spent together, our intimacy, all those different things. Now, let's say you sin. How does that affect your connection with God. Okay, why is that? He's still your father. Yeah. Your connection doesn't change. God's your father, you're his son, based on what he did at the cross alone. Right? That's not based on your performance, but on his. So there's no change in your relationship. This is the same as if I went home and said something really mean to Aaron. Right? Our relationship would not change. She'd still be my wife. I'd still be her husband. How would the fellowship change, though? There'd be a problem there, right? Same thing with God. Your intimacy with God, your communication with God uh, would be affected. Right? They would all be affected. There's something nasty in that other cup. So it'd be hindered. We'll say, right? Now, uh, what happens when I 
guys at sin. First John 1 9 again. What happens to my relationship with God? No change, right? It's the same thing like if, if I had said something really mean to Aaron and I went home and I said, Hi, I'm so sorry, baby. Will you please forgive me so that we can be married again? You'd say, What a crazy thing to say, Nate. That relationship never changed, right? But our fellowship was hindered. So when I go and I ask her forgiveness, that fellowship is it's restored and healed, right? And it's the same with God. And this is just a, this isn't just a concept. Look at First Peter three seven. It talks about husbands and wives. It says when husbands don't live in harmony with their wives, their prayers are hindered. This communication, this fellowship with God is hindered if I'm choosing to walk in sin and not confessing that to God, right? But when I confess it, what? He completely forgives it and cleanses it. And um, Psalm one hundred three twelve says he cast it as far as the east is from the west, which is one of the key verses for this whole appointment. And there are a few others as well. But that leads us to the garbage dump diagram, which goes like this. Do you guys remember this one? I'm going to draw the ground and then just draw like this big hole in the middle right here. Okay? And then you're going to ask the person that you're working with to, to come up with any sin that comes to his mind. Don't press him to be more vulnerable than he would want to be at that time. I've actually had somebody tell me, Nate, I have to confess this thing from my past to you. And they confessed it to me, and they were gone. I mean, this is somebody that, that I led to Christ, and I think he wasn't ready to, to get that out in the open. But after that, he was gone. And I think, be, be sensitive. Just let them do this at their pace. Even though he wanted to bring this up, I didn't press him. I still think he wasn't ready. And he instantly quit meeting with me. He, you know, he'd be friendly when he saw me, but he would not show up for an appointment. And the next semester, he transferred away from, from this campus to a different one. So the point being, you need to be careful to not push them. Remember, too much, too soon, too bad, too little, too late, so sad. So go at their pace. But maybe help them think through some general sins, right? And if they're not thinking of anything, help them out here. Hate, lust, pride, unforgiveness, gossip, um, uh, envy, arguing. You could just keep going on and on and on, right? Porn, gosh, I would imagine if there's a new Christian guy, the chances are that's been a huge, huge issue, right? If he just came to Christ, and it's something you should bring up, right? Uh, so anyway, bring all that stuff up, and then what do you do? You guys remember? Covered all the big mound of dirt, right? And what's that dirt called? God's grace, His mercy, right? His grace and mercy. And then we do this. This is so awesome, guys. Put a big sign in it and say, no digging. Right? No digging. It really helps somebody realize when, when you confess this sin to God, He cast it as far as the east is from the west. And it's out of, it's out of His mind. He's forgiven it. You're clean. He does, He chooses not to even remember it anymore. And to help people understand, you should not go tunneling back down and looking at this sin and going, oh, that was such a bad sin. You really need to trust God has forgiven you when you simply confess that sin to Him and ask Him to forgive you. Isn't that powerful? I think that's a powerful diagram to help people with this mental game because don't you kind of want to keep going back to that and beating yourself up over it? Well, that's going to stop your growth. It's going to hinder progress in your walk with God. And so to help somebody understand, you are trusting God's mercy and grace above any sin from your past. I don't care how big it was. He's forgiven it. Now trust Him and don't go tunneling back to it. Right? No digging. So it's just a good diagram to help them understand that. Some more verses on dealing with sin and trusting God's forgiveness. Obviously, 1 John 1, nine, Psalm 103.12, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.13, which you mentioned a minute ago, Malcolm. Hebrews 12.1-2, Psalm 119.11. Alright, living daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll go through quickly the three circles diagram and spiritual breathing. And we're almost done with the diagram, so we should finish about on time. For each lesson, I want to just highlight some of the things to, to not forget. 
But anyway, so going through the three circles, you guys remember these pretty well? You've seen them about a million times. Circle number one, circle number two, circle number three. All right, circle number one. Self is on the throne, Christ is not on the throne. The interests and pursuits and desires of this life are chaotic. The things that define it, define it are no relationship with God. Okay? No fellowship with God. I would always start with those two also. Because those are the two that are going to change most dramatically across the board. So start with no relationship, no fellowship. Alright? And then other things, I would put the fruit of the flesh... All right, you can go to Galatians 19 and look that up. All right. And, I mean, Galatians 5, <laughs> 19, sorry, and look that up. Anyway, the fruit of the flesh. And you could go through any other characteristics that come to mind. Avoid the temptation, though, to just start saying, this guy doesn't have anything going for him. Because there are a lot of non-Christians that have everything going for him, okay, as far as our human eyes can tell. So make this have a lot more to do with where they're at internally and where they are at in relation to God and where they're at with with their sin nature, right? Because those things are going to be the same across the board if you don't know Christ. All right, now here's this big break. Now, what do you do to get to this next circle where Christ is, oh, and then Christ is outside the life here, of course. What do we do to get to this next circle where Christ is on the throne? I'm not. And the interests and desires and pursuits of my life are all in line in such a way that they are they are glorifying God. They are here for His purposes and His glory. All right? How do I get from there to there? Yeah. I put trust Christ. And I always joke around with people, how do you get back? They usually say, I don't think you can. I say, good. Remember appointment number one. And there are a few verses, guys, and I'll just throw this out there. There are a few verses, like in Hebrews 6, where it looks like you could lose your salvation. If you just keep reading a few verses, it all clarifies. You know, we're confident of better things, in your case, things that accompany salvation. In other words, what he just described does not accompany salvation. All these things, if we read them in context, they clear up pretty fast. So anyway, it's important. But yeah, so assure them again, you're secure. A lot of people, though, they go, but that's not how my life looks. It looks a lot like this. See, this guy has relationship with Christ. He has fellowship with Christ, right? He has the fruit of the Spirit, and you could go through those with them, right? But they say, my life looks a lot more like that than it does like this, but I know I've trusted Christ, so what's the story? Okay, well, there's this third circle, right? Self is on the throne. Christ is in life. He didn't leave. Does this guy have a relationship with God? Yes. Yes, on relationship. No or hindered fellowship. And what's this guy getting? The fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh? Flesh. Okay, you can read about this whole process in 1 Corinthians 2 through 3. Those chapters talk about this whole process. This is not a humanly thought up idea, but it's straight out of scripture. Uh, the way that we get from here to here is by sinning, okay? And we just talked about last week, right, how to deal with sin. So they should know at this point, confessing that sin is how I get back to this point with Christ on the throne, right? Now we also do the spiritual breathing diagram where we just go with these two circles and we say <clears throat> confessing sin is like exhaling, Right? That's like exhaling, getting the junk out. But if you only exhale, you're going to die. So we encourage them to live this life, again, by faith, growing. Right? Galatians 2.20, I need to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we encourage them, I need to not just exhale, but I need to inhale. Which is simply being filled with the Spirit. You can go to Ephesians. 5.18, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then you could share with them the ABCDs. Ask God to fill you by faith. Remember, Luke 11.13. Believe that he does by faith alone. James 1.6-7. Uh, 
confess all known sin, 1 John 1, 9, right? I can't be asking Him to fill me with His Spirit if I'm choosing to willfully walk in sin because I'm choosing to willfully walk with me on the throne. So I really need to, to get off the throne and ask Him to, you know, to forgive any sin. Uh, desire to have Christ in control of your life. Matthew 5, 6 says uh, that if we, if we desire, uh, that we will be filled specifically. That uh, if we desire righteousness or if we desire to live a Christ-like life, we will be filled. Right Now, finally, surrender. Romans 12, 1 through 2 talks about living every day as a living sacrifice. Right, So you're surrendering, surrendering your life uh, for His glory. Okay, key passages about living every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, Luke 11, 13, 1 John 5, 14 through 15, James 1, 6 through 7, 1 John 1, 9, Matthew 5, 6, and Romans 12, 1 through 2. The ones I just read. Appointment five. Who is the Holy Spirit and what he does for us? You guys go through appointment number five, and if you're turned there, just check it out right now. Really establish a good foundation for this new believer about who the Holy Spirit is. There are more lies about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does than there are about any other aspect, I think, of Christianity or your walk with God. Everybody has an interpretation or an idea, and most of them have nothing to do with Scripture. And what you're doing in this appointment is you're literally going through pretty much every description of the Holy Spirit in Scripture so that they can see who He is and what He does. This is super important for them to really understand for certain who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. Right? And then, as you do that, continue to go through the ABCDs with them at the end of that appointment to make sure they're getting that you're walking this life by faith Trusting by faith that when I ask him to fill me with his spirit, he really will, right? And asking them again and again. This isn't just a prayer you pray. This is trusting by faith that he's going to take over and live his life through you. Okay, finally, appointment number six, how to grow spiritually as a Christian. We're going to go through the growth diagram. This is the last diagram we're going to go through. Is it good for you guys to see all these diagrams as far as going through the packet? I I think Jack and you and I were talking about this. Remember? I saying I really want you to really just get one more shot at seeing all these diagrams before you start discipling this somebody. Okay, so the last one is the growth diagram. So here's God. Okay, here is you. Here is other believers. Here are non-believers. Okay, you cannot grow alone, guys. Every single person that you're interacting with is either going to be helping you grow or hindering you from growing. Right? You cannot grow alone. This diagram helps you understand the relationships that you're involved in and how to maximize growth within the context of these different relationships. Okay, so how do you, uh, how do you communicate with God? What's the way that you speak to God? Prayer, right? And how, what is the main way that God speaks to you? It's not the only way. Obviously, God can direct you in different ways. He can speak to you, clearly. But the only certain, without a shadow of a doubt, way that we know God speaks to us, and the only way that every single time we can know for sure it's Him and not my own mind, um, and again, I'm not saying that it's the only way, but it's the only way that you can know certainly is God's Word, right? God's Word, the Bible. Okay, if you're praying and reading the Word, you and God are growing, or God's not growing, but you're growing closer to God, and you're growing into the person that He's calling you to be. Now, how is that going to funnel back to other believers? What would we call that? Fellowship, right? What happens if you're not fellowshipping with other believers? Growth gets stunted, right? You can be saved. I hear people always say, I can just do my own thing with God. Well, you can I, don't know, I believe I'll see you in heaven, but you're not going to grow very much. Now, what about with non-believers? Evangelism, right? Make sure that, that there's good influence going. Maybe they're like that, so they're not influencing you so much. right? Be careful about that. But make sure, Josh... Make sure to be encouraging them. Okay, that's the growth diagram. In appointment number six, and we're just going to zoom through the last uh, few appointments here, but I don't think there are any more diagrams that we need to go through. In appointment number six, clearly convey vision and perspective for continued growth. 
clearly help them see that they're never going to stop growing until the day they die. Go through the growth diagram. Go through the key verses on growth. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9 is awesome. Hebrews 4, 12, talking about the word helping us grow. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, fellowship. Acts 1, 8, evangelism. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Guys, all those are important to give them vision for their own growth. All right, almost wrapping it up here, almost done. Uh, we had the hand diagram, but we'll let you, we'll let you go through that on your own. I'll, I'll go through it. Appointment number seven, how the Bible helps us grow. So right off the bat, we're going to get to God's Word right here. And we're going to have the hand. What are the fingers on the hand? You guys look in there? Shout them out if you look in. What's the pinky? Read. Read God's Word. Okay. So we have, we have a big... Okay, I'm going lazy. I'm so sorry. Okay. That'll be the thumb. I didn't draw too well. Okay, read. What else? Study, right? Memorize. Meditate on. Okay. And honestly, guys, we've changed this up a bit. This is a navigator's diagram. But on the on the thumb they put share God's word, which is important. But I think a broader description of that, it's not just sharing God's word. But the broader one is apply, right? James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If we're reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on God's word but not applying it, we're going to actually end up deceiving ourselves, right? But as soon as we start applying it, then... We're actually growing the way God intended. And that's why we make that the thumb. Because if I tried to, imagine if I tried, can you see here? Imagine if I tried to drink my coffee without my thumb. It's like a pretty hard situation, right? Does that make sense? Your thumb is what makes things work. So I always want to put application on the thumb in that diagram. And say, if you're not applying scripture, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But when you start applying it, it all starts to connect. Okay, that's the hand diagram, and that is the last diagram. Appointment, uh, appointment number eight, God helps us grow through prayer. Clearly describe the importance of prayer. Maybe even spend some time praying together, or invite them to a half night of prayer so they can practice praying. Right, go through key passages. Ephesians 3.20, Romans 8.26-27, Psalm 37.4, 1 John 5.14-15, Matthew 7.7-11, 7 Philippians 4.6-7, John 15.7. Those are a lot of passages. They're all in the packet, though. And read through those and study them. Develop a personal quiet time or connect time. I think quiet sounds passive, so I personally call it a connect time. But here's the deal, guys. Help them see that Jesus did this. Look at Mark 1.35, and then look at other verses like James 4.8, Philippians 1.9, and Luke 10.38-42. You guys, help them schedule a quiet time, and maybe even keep them accountable. If you're discipling somebody, and you need to help them by calling them in the morning to remind them to wake up or whatever, you might need to do that. And then continue to ask them as you keep meeting how their, how their quiet times or connect times are going. Help them get that uh, personal quiet time down. Rabbi Zacharias put it best. I think that quote is in the discipleship packet. He said, if you fail in your own personal time with God, you will fail everywhere else also. And I think we need to help people that are being discipled to really get firm in their own time with God daily. Okay, how encouraging fellowship helps us grow. Help them see that they need the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs them. They have to plug in. They have to plug into a local church. They should plug into a group on campus if they're a college student. They need to plug into good fellowship. They need to be in a small group Bible study. Right, go through key passages on fellowship at their pace again. Acts 2, 42-47, John 13, 34-35, 1 John 1, 5-9. Romans 12, 5, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Continue as you meet, asking them how their quiet times are going. And appointment number 11, it's the last appointment there, is the importance of sharing our faith. Sharing your faith makes you strong, right? So go through these key passages, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Romans 10, 9 through 15, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and 1 Peter 3, 15. It's appointment number 11, and I would encourage you, take them out sharing the good news, right, after you finish appointment number 11. All right, guys, as far as going through the discipleship packet with somebody and actually doing the discipleship process, 
I want to encourage you, just like Bill Bright said about evangelism, it's true about discipleship. Take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and then trust the results to God. You are not the one changing that person. God is. They are not your disciple. They're His disciple. But you've been given this awesome opportunity to be a part of the discipleship process. So jump all in. Go for it. Uh, by this time, you should you should have grown with this person. By the time you finish 11 appointments, there should be some friendship, some respect. You guys should be having fun growing together. You're going to see that you're growing a lot with God. right? Continue to evaluate where they're at, what steps they need to take, how God wants to build them. Do the best you can. Be praying for this person. If I could stress anything, pray for the people that you're discipling, okay? Don't just pretend like you don't need to pray for them. Right? Get them involved in those four contexts. The You're... You know, three in addition to the one-on-one. Get them in the Bible study. Get them in weekly fellowship. Get them in, in evangelism and actually reaching out. Right? Do something fun with them. Maybe go hunting. Maybe go snowboarding. Do something. Maybe go out to eat together. I don't know. Uh, but don't stop now, guys. You're in the process. You might have had some good results and bad results. You might have got discipleship dumped by now. That happens occasionally. It's okay. Happened to Jesus. <laughs> Happened to Paul. So just trust God with it. Just keep going. And, and it's all going to come together. And you're going to find, after you've lived your life on this planet, that you will have truly impacted eternity by multiplying spiritual multipliers, by simply being obedient to make disciples like Jesus called you to. Let's pray and give this time to God. Josh, would you just pray and give this to God? That would be awesome. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. What Nate had to say, even though I wasn't here for the entire message, but just tell him in our hearts and our minds that we would apply we would we would use that thumb and we would allow the other four key pieces to fall into place and that we would disciple appropriately and we just push through and, and that because that's what you want us to do and, and all in all it will work out guys so just give us the courage and strength to keep pushing and Give us the discernment as to how to go about it as well, Lord. Um, we want to thank you for fellow brothers here and um, the fact that we're all in this together. And you're we pray that you'd be on the throne all the time as well, God. Just yeah, bless the rest of our day. In your name, Amen. Amen.